0: Good morning everybody. The reading this morning is from the book of Matthew beginning at verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic, take heart son your sins are forgiven. At this Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to Christ the the Word.
1: Thank you very much, Karen, and um, very good to be with you this morning, everyone. I was going to say to St. Stephen's, but Miriam's already shown me that uh, on the um, on the line, comments have already been made from uh, people from Barnabas Church, Blenheim, great to have you with us. Uh, I know last week there were some from Auckland Anglican Mission. Um, wherever you're from, we're really pleased that you can be with us this morning, and whether you're here because you know and love the Lord, or you're just checking things out and still questioning, uh, we're really pleased that you can be with us this morning. Um I wanted to add my congratulations to Jeff's to the Ballinger family for 10 pound nine ounce <laughs> toddler uh, Rupert. It's great that you've been able to arrive safely and we'll pray for Charlie especially and um, but all the Ballinger family. It's a great joy. It's always a, a joyous occasion when that happens but um, great for you guys. And um, Jeff also mentioned before that we'll um, <clears throat> we're very much hoping to move to level one soon as a nation, and that will allow us at St Stephens to gather together again. We're not sure exactly when that will be because it's not just a case of when we're allowed to by the government, but when we as a church feel that we can do things the right way. But we'll let you know as soon as um, we can make that decision. We know from Shirley Intermediate we can go back there, Uh, so we're working on things right now to make sure that it can happen. Um, uh, We'll let you know, we'll also have something else I had to say on that, Uh, what was it? completely forgotten i'll pray and then it will come back to me let's pray heavenly father we thank you very much for the chance to be together this morning we um it's such a pleasure to sing your praises to come before you humbly in prayer and now to sit under your word have you speak to us and we pray that as we do that it may not just be our own brains trying to understand things but your spirit working within us teaching us your truth Opening our eyes and our hearts. And this morning, as we think, especially on the subject of, um, uh, of forgiveness, we pray, Lord, that we would see the wonderful joy and privilege that's ours in forgiveness through Jesus. Please, if we've never known it before, let us let us accept this with thankful hearts. If we wrestle with it uh, a little bit, like Kate was talking about before, we pray that you would give us assurance. Help us as we think on this such important topic this morning. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have remembered while I prayed. What I was going to say was, um, even if we move to Shirley Intermediate and are able to meet again physically, we're very much hoping that we'll still be able to stream services for those that are still anxious or a little nervous uh, about gathering. So we're uh, working on all those things. Now, after the, uh, the last three months that we've had on this planet, it would be hard to draw any other conclusion than that our world is a mess that it has massive problems. Perhaps the only question to ask is, which is the greatest of those problems? If I was to ask you this morning, what's the greatest problem that our planet faces, how would you answer it? Is it uh, disease and death like the um, COVID-19 situation might have pointed us towards? In the last couple of weeks after the aftermath of the tragic killing of George Floyd, uh, is it racism? the evil of treating one group of humans as less valuable or worthy than another? Or would you go for climate change and the thought that uh, human beings are influencing the elements that are in turn causing destruction and suffering on our planet? Or would you go for a more philosophical kind of um, thought, that it's a lack of education that's our greatest problem? If only people knew better, they would do better. I could list so many more options, and I think I could make or mount a fairly compelling case for a lot of them. But according to the Lord, according to the Scriptures, there's only one answer to what this world's greatest problem is. And that one answer is the root and the cause of all the things that I just mentioned before and all the other things that I could list. The answer is sin. Sin. Sin is where we miss the mark. That's what the word actually means. It's when we go against the Lord, the one who's made us and who knows us, and we go against what we were created to be. And in the Bible it's really clear that there's, there's almost two stages of world history according to the Bible. There's the first stage, which is Genesis 1 and 2, where it's God's good creation, and then it's Genesis 3 and the rest of human history, where things have been corrupted by sin. Sin was so damaging and destructive it changed everything that came after it. It's when sin entered the world in Genesis 3 that human relationships that you and I have became characterized by dishonesty and shame and deceit. Adam and Eve were naked beforehand, unashamed, open, loving, loyal. Soon as sin came in, human relationships have been corrupted ever since. It was that moment in Genesis 3 when sin came into the world that our relationship as human beings with God became strained and distant. It was that moment in history in Genesis 3 when sin came into the world when we lost the stability and security of a safe home when they were kicked out of the garden. It was that moment in history when sin came into the world when sickness and death came to be and when the creation itself started groaning. All the things that plague our world in the big picture and all the things that plague your life and my life in the personal picture spring from the root of sin. The big things like COVID-19 and racism and climate change and lack of education, all caused ultimately by sin. The personal things that you and I struggle with, like loneliness and guilt and shame and despair, all spring from sin. The greatest problem that the world faces and the greatest need that you and I have is sin. And as you keep reading the scriptures, after you get past chapter 3, when sin enters into the world and everything's changed, as you keep reading the scriptures... You see God working with human beings, uh, but everything that he does with us and for us keeps being corrupted by sin. He blesses his people with his law, we ruin it. He blesses people with land, we ruin it. He blesses people with leaders, we ruin it. All fail to bring the happiness and success that he has in mind for his people, because until sin is dealt with, sin keeps corrupting everything else. Even the best things in this world are blemished, temporary, incomplete. And so as you you read through the Bible, it's really clear that until this root problem of sin is dealt with, then the good things that God plans and wants for his people will never be able to be achieved, never be able to be realized, because sin keeps ruining things, keeps corrupting things. A short way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but a short way to describe the whole narrative of the whole Bible because it's 66 books, right? It's a big thing, the Bible. How do you, how do you very easily communicate what the, the whole narrative of the Bible is to someone else? A very good way is to say there's three parts to it. One is Genesis 1 and 2, the good creation. Two, Genesis 3, the fall, where sin comes in and everything goes wrong. Then the whole rest of the Bible, from Genesis 4 right through to the end of Revelation, is how the problem of sin can be dealt with so that a new, better creation can be enjoyed by God's people. That's the story of the Bible in a nutshell, which means the whole story of the Bible is how do we deal with the problem of sin? How can we get from the good creation to the new creation because sin has ruined things? And Jesus, of course, is a a massive part of that. But do you see, that's what makes our passage this morning so massive. Because today our passage is about Jesus' ability and authority to deal with sin. Specifically in the case in these verses, to forgive sin. There's more to do with sin, but this is to forgive sin. Our passage is only eight verses long, if you have a look at it. But three times Jesus mentions sins being forgiven. Verse 3, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 5, Uh, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. And then verse 6, which is really the key verse of the whole passage. In verse 6 he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, the Son of Man is how Jesus referred to himself. So he's saying, but so that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, dot, dot, dot. So the purpose of this whole passage was to show people and to prove to you and I this morning that Jesus forgives sins. So that's what we're going to focus on today. I want you to know, as a result of this morning, that Jesus can forgive you. And that is so important because there's a whole lot of people that have got a difficulty with this whole idea of forgiveness of sin. Some people think they don't need to be forgiven. Some people try to find forgiveness themselves. Some people feel so terrible they think no one could forgive me or they doubt it or are skeptical. I I, I want to speak to all of you this morning on this. So let's have a look at the passage and then we'll think about uh, the great truths that are contained here. If you were with us last week, you'll know that we were on the other side of the lake uh, in a Gentile area. But this week, um, Matthew tells us in verse 1, he returns to his own town, goes back to the other side and returns to his own town. We know from chapter 4 in Matthew, his own town is Capernaum. That's where he's been living. And while he's there, some men bring a paralytic. That's a man who's paralyzed, someone who can't walk. And they bring him to Jesus on a mat. Jesus sees their faith. Now I take it that that includes the man who's paralyzed, lying there. But he sees the faith of the friends too, who've taken such a a hard thing to bring him. And I love the words of Jesus when he sees this man. End of verse 2, he says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. There's a tenderness in those words. There is a warmth and a care and a compassion, which I think is so, so good. The last four words are the only ones he had to say, and they're the important ones. Your sins are forgiven. But the first three words, son, take heart, say everything you need to know about the way God treats us. I point that out because there are some people who worry that when they come before God, they've done too many bad things or they've moved too far away or been, been away for too long or they've come and gone and they worry about how God will meet them. This is how he'll meet you. If you come with faith, he will say, take heart, son. Take heart, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. He responds with tenderness and compassion. But um, as lovely as this tone of Jesus is, and it is to- uh, lovely, it's odd. It's odd what he does here. I'm not a mind reader so I can't be sure but I feel very confident to say that what had brought those men to Jesus that day was not a hope or expectation that this man's sins would be forgiven it was a hope that Jesus would be able to physically heal him that he would fix his legs make him be able to be walk, to walk again and so right away we should notice there's a there's a strangeness to this story why does Jesus do this we'll keep that in mind as we as we keep going through Jesus says this to the man take heart son your sins are forgiven But then in verse 3 we're told some teachers of the law are there, they see what Jesus says, they witness this, and they think in their hearts, this fellow is blaspheming. Now although Jesus is about to condemn their thoughts with his next words, because he says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? I want you just for a moment to see that there was some justification in what the teachers of the law were saying here, or thinking here. Because fundamental to Jewish belief was that sin can only be forgiven by God. Because, of course, ultimately sin is only against God, and so only the wronged party can forgive sin. The illustration I always use sorry, Tim uh, is that if I punch my brother Tim in the nose and feel bad about that, it's no good if Jamie, my wife, comes up and says, Don't worry about it, Jay, I forgive you. She can't forgive me. Only Tim, only the one with the sore nose, can forgive me. Sin. It's whoever is sinned against, and because sin in the end is against the one who made us, the one we owe everything to, in the end only God can forgive sin. And so when the teachers of the law picture it, see Jesus say to this man, this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, they are outraged. Jesus isn't God, so he can't do this. He's blaspheming. He's putting himself in the place of God. So there's some justification in their thinking at this point. So why then does Jesus speak to them so harshly, if it could be justified? Because they should have already known that Jesus was God. Everyone who'd seen Jesus should have known that he was God. If you've been with us over the last few weeks as we've seen these incidents in Matthew, he says, go and demons obey. He says three words, quiet, be still, and nature itself obeys. He'd healed the sick and taught in ways that no one had ever seen. They should have already known it was only their stubborn hearts that made them refuse to acknowledge who the one who was in front of them was. Now, there's a problem with claiming to be able to forgive sins, and that is you can't prove you've done it. You can't verify it. I could say it to you today. I could say, I've just forgiven your sins. And you could say, prove it. And I go, I can't. Just trust me. I have. But Jesus doesn't want to do that. He wants them to know with absolute confidence, and he wants you and I to know with absolute confidence he's got the authority to do it. And so he heals this man physically. He goes on to heal him physically to fix his legs But he only heals him physically to show that he's done the more important thing spiritually, that he had the authority to forgive his sins. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man does exactly that. Notice the physical healing is to prove, verify, that Jesus had actually forgiven the man's sins. The forgiveness of his sins was the key thing. And I want you to be rock solid on this this morning. This is the heart of all of it. If I was able to bring the paralytic man in today, I was able to open the door that's just on the right of me and... Bring him in and introduce him like Jeff and Kate were just talking before. Get him up here. And if I was to say, think back to that time all those years ago when Jesus did two things to you on that day. Which was the most important thing? Which was the more vital and essential thing? It wouldn't even be close for this guy when he gave an answer. He wouldn't have to pause for a second. It's a no-brainer. The answer requires no thought, no effort, no consideration. Being able to walk for the next 50 years of his life would have been a wonderful thing. But being forgiven your sin for eternity is so much different and so much better. Because forgiveness is the world's greatest problem and your greatest need. The ability to walk is something I take for granted all the time. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. I'm a big fan of walking. But forgiveness changes the heart and soul of a person all of us at different times in our lives are ashamed of who we are to be forgiven means that someone knows who you are accepts you and loves you and you're in a good relationship it changes everything sin speaks of separation and hiddenness and dishonesty forgiveness is the opposite of all those things And sin doesn't just spoil everything in this lifetime, it sets itself for the next. If our sin is not dealt with, if we're not forgiven, if we choose to ignore God and his offer of forgiveness in this world and say, no, we don't want you and we we don't want that, he will choose to honor that in the life to come. And he will give us what we want, which is not him and not forgiveness and us turning us back. The Bible calls that hell, and it's a terrible thing indeed. And so Jesus, in healing this man of his physical need, What he was doing was showing that he'd had the authority and he'd done his spiritual need. And that was the key. And the crowd saw this, and the NIV says they were filled with awe. Actually, the word there is fear. They were filled with fear. I think they put awe because they think, well, it can't be fear, that's odd. But that's not odd. Remember I spoke about this last week. Every time they've been seeing the power and authority of Jesus, people have been afraid because he's so powerful. They see the storm calmed and they're terrified because of the power that does it. They see the demon-possessed men healed, sitting in their right mind, clothed, eating, and they're terrified. Why? Because of the power that's done it. Now they've seen the power, the authority to forgive sins, and they're, they're filled with fear. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, So they're filled with fear and they praise God who's given such authority to men. It's an odd phrase, that last one, but I take it there that the men is this one man, the son of man, who is both God with that authority and power and man. So Jesus can forgive your sin. That's my point. Jesus can forgive your sin. I've got no three points today. I've got no alliteration or anything else. Just that. But that is so good. And I want to finish this morning by telling you how good it is. I want want us to reflect on this wonderful truth and know it not just in our head but with our hearts. I want us to see the consequence and the confidence and the comfort and the contentedness that comes when you know you're forgiven through Jesus. Firstly, I want to say that this offer is for everyone. It's a free offer for anyone, no matter who you are or what you've done, no matter... If you've ever felt you can't be forgiven, if you've ever doubted your forgiveness, if you've ever wrestled with or wondered or worried about it, it's to you I'm talking especially. This offer of forgiveness comes freely to all. You can be forgiven. And what does it mean that you can be forgiven? It means that every mistake you've ever made, every sin you've ever committed... Everything you should have done but didn't, every thought, evil thought you've had, every person you've betrayed, every selfish act you've done, no matter how awful or evil or repeated, is washed away. It's dealt with. And your relationship with God is fully transparent. He knows all of that, what has gone on, and it's fully positive. If you're forgiven, it means that your relationship with God is all good. It's rock solid. It is settled, reconciled, restored, whatever language you want to use, and it will remain that way. There are no lingering bad feelings between God and you. I point this out because sometimes we we can think what's true with our human relationships creeps into our relationship with God, but it's not the same. Sometimes I will have let someone down who I could have a really good human relationship with and... You kind of say it's okay, but there's lingering things, and the relationship's not great, not with the Lord. If you're forgiven, it's all good. And nothing will be brought up six months later. I feel like as I say that, people will think I'm talking about certain other people in my life. I'm not. But you know what it's like when you you do something wrong, and you kind of fix it with someone that you've got a human relationship with. But then six months later, something goes wrong, and out it comes again in the discussion. And you can worry that that's what it's like with God. Well, well, I did this and I thought it was okay, but it's coming back to bite me sick. So no, no, it's done. It's sorted out. Some Christians worry that God will be angry with them in the future. If you're forgiven, his anger was poured out on Jesus. He doesn't pour it out twice. There's no double jeopardy. None of this will change over time. Your, your relationship with God is rock solid. It's dealt with. In Micah chapter 7 verse 19, it says you, that's God, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love that imagery. It could be two ways of saying the same thing. I like to, I like to think of both of them as true. You, you will tread our sins underfoot. Think of a massive giant standing on something that's brittle and breakable and it, and he stands on it just smashes into smithereens. And then think of those smithereens being hurled into the depths of the ocean. You're never getting that back. <laughs> You're never putting that back together. It's done. It's dealt with. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. There are still depths to the sea that human beings haven't seen or experienced because they are, they are so massive. Uh, that's like your sin with the Lord. It's gone. Psalm 103 puts it like this. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The east and the west never meet. They are as far apart as possible. When you're forgiven by God through Jesus, it's done. No lingering bad thoughts. Nothing being held over you. Nothing's going to come back and bite you. He's not going to get angry about it again. Your relationship is good. Now, there may be some ongoing consequences in our human life now. If I've sinned in a particular way, think of a terrible crime, I may be in jail as a consequence. I could still experience... Uh, consequences in the here and now physically for a time but no consequences with the Lord. If I'm forgiven it's good. Completely perfectly, permanently. That's what forgiveness is. It's done. And I say that with no concern that I'm overstating it or exaggerating it. Because God promises it. If someone comes to me As a minister and says, Jay, I'm sick and I've prayed to God that he will heal me. I cannot in good conscience look at them and say, God will heal you. But if someone comes to me and says, Jay, I've just prayed that God will forgive me. I can look them in the eye and with absolute confidence say, God forgives you. Because if you come to the Lord with faith, he will forgive you. Because God promises it. If you cast yourself on him with faith, He will look at you and say, take heart, son, take heart, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now at different times, the devil will tempt us to doubt that forgiveness. I think Kate spoke a little bit about this in her interview. And what she described is what I think all Christians go through at various stages of life. The devil's like a a word in our ear saying, "God, God could never love you. You're too bad. You make the same mistakes again and again. You promise that you talk a good game, but you don't go through with it. If God knew what you were really like, he'd reject you. And sometimes, again, our human relationships can cause us problems in this area. Some of us have been rejected because people have got to know the real us and not liked it. Some of us have had people turn their backs on us because we let them down or did the wrong thing or we weren't good enough for them. And we can get in our mind, well, God will do the same. But God's not the same. God knows you and me inside out, our thoughts, our motivations, our desires and our actions. And then he forgives us if we come to him in faith. He knows every part. It's not that he didn't read us right or I didn't really know that. He knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Even in these verses, Jesus knew the faith in the people before it was said. He knew the thinking of the teachers of the law. He knows uh, us and our hearts and all those sorts of things. He knows you perfectly, and he forgives you perfectly. When Satan tempts you to despair, I'm getting to a lyric, aren't I? We're about to sing. This is a good moment. I, I very rarely choose the songs at St. Stephen's because Aaron and Grace do a wonderful job, but I was going to suggest a song. But I didn't. I said, Aaron, tell me the songs that are going to happen on Sunday. And Aaron told me, this is true, isn't it, Aaron? Aaron told me the last song was the song I was going to ask for, which is Before the Throne of God Above. That second verse in that song is great. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When you're tempted to think that you're not truly forgiven, and you will be at different times, when you're tempted to think God couldn't love you, don't focus on your own sin. Don't focus on your own weakness. Don't focus on the strength or weakness of your faith. Upward, look and see him there, the one who made an end to all your sin, the one who gave you forgiveness. And remember the promise of God. You are forgiven. As far from the east to the west, it's gone. It's been trampled and then thrown into the depths of the ocean. And then... I'll finish with it. When you know that, when you know that you're forgiven and therefore your relationship with God is rock solid, there's a comfort and a confidence that changes everything else in life. All of us have a deep desire to be known and understood and accepted and loved. And none of us are perfectly by any other person. Even the best of human relationships that we've got don't know us fully. And we worry that if they did know us fully, then it would cause problems. And but God, you have that relationship with God if you're forgiven, perfect relationship that will not change. Nothing's hidden, everything's known, and it's all good and it won't change. There's a reason we call that blessed assurance. You have that 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 will always be there, and you can be assured of it. And it's blessed when you've got that assurance and it will impact all the other areas of your life. When you're rejected by other people, for whatever reason, this will allow you to withstand that rejection because you've got one relationship that won't change. When you encounter evil or wrongdoing from another person, this will change the way you respond to that evil and wrong because you know how much you've been forgiven. And you'll be able and, and uh, hopefully ready at certain stages to extend forgiveness to others. At the moment, you see what's going on in America. It's a, a terrible situation because you've got people are so incensed by evil and wrong that they then are angry and evil and wrong in, in turn. If someone doesn't respond the way I think you must, you get more angry. Christians never respond like that. Because we know what we've been forgiven. It changes the way you you, you deal with things. It means that you don't have to uh, fear your relationship with God changing over time. There are some people who, who wake up each day and go, well, I hope I don't let God down now and it's going to affect my relationship. No, if you've been forgiven, I've already explained this, it's not like a roller coaster to- ride like it is with some other human relationships where you go, well, I hope I don't cause difficulties today. If you're forgiven, the, the, the relationship is rock solid. And if you're forgiven and you've got that human rela- that relationship with God, it means you can face the suffering of this world and the uncertainty of the future with confidence because you know you're in the Lord's hands and you know how it all ends. Do you see how important forgiveness of sins is? It changes everything. I want you to know that if you ask Jesus, trusting him, you are forgiven. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. And nothing else in this world can bring that kind of healing or assurance or joy. And we get the privilege of living in the light of it. The world's greatest problem is sin. Your greatest need is sin. But there's an answer. And his name is Jesus. Let me pray. Father, these truths that we've been thinking of are incredible. We thank you for your love and grace. And Lord, I want to pray this morning, there may be even some this morning who have never received your forgiveness. I pray that they would, that they would find in Jesus the very thing they need most and the thing that will change everything for them. But Lord, I also pray for all of us this morning who have... Uh, had the privilege of knowing your forgiveness and living with it. We pray, Lord, that we would never waver with it. We would always know the blessed assurance that it provides and that our lives would be lived in that kind of confidence. Not confidence in self, but confidence in you and our Saviour and your promises. Father, we thank you that with our greatest need, you've provided the most wonderful answer, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.